Good evening, everybody. My name is John Forsyth. I have the great privilege of being the vicar here at St Jude's. And a really warm welcome, if you are visiting us tonight, to support Andy as family and friends. We are delighted you can be here. Uh, it means heaps to Andy, I know. But we as a church are also delighted that you can be with us this evening. And so I want to extend a really warm welcome to you uh, and hope you enjoy it as we gather together as God's people. Uh, what we do here at church, if you're new, is that we look at the Bible and we kind of see what it has to say for us. And if you are joining tonight, you are joining at the end of the Maxi series that started way back on the 29th of April 2018, which I'm sure some of you weren't even born back then. Uh, I think Ezra was not, but who here was still at Uni Church back then? There, there might be a small handful. It's a, the faithful few of old people like me. All right? It's okay. Hold it up. You know, get a young person to help you if you're struggling. Um, Uni Church was not even meeting in this building. It was BC, right, before COVID. And we can't remember anything before COVID. I think we were meeting in the hall, not the pub yet. Is that right? You can remember. Yeah, Sam says yes. Then we moved to the pub. Uh, and, but it's amazing. Four and a half years later, we have finished looking at this momentous letter that this guy called Paul, an apostle, writes to a church, really a bunch of churches in Rome. And we get to chapter 16, which is the last bit, the last section of the letter, in which uh, Sam wonderfully read for us, a great list of people. You couldn't help miss that, right? 35 names. And I I can kind of guess what you're thinking, whether you're a long-time churchgoer or a first-time churchgoer. Gee, I'm thankful I wasn't doing the reading this evening, getting those names. And Sam, you did such a good job at the last minute, mate. Well done. Uh, Maybe you're also thinking, well, that's an interesting list of names. Well, I... What do we do with that kind of thing? I mean, maybe if you're about to have a kid and are trying to struggling to find some names, right? There's a few new kind of out left field examples. Uh, there's a gentleman in the morning who's got Greek heritage. He said, oh, guess what? You named half my family in that, in that verses there. <laughs> so, but if you're not from a Greek background, there are some new names for you to run through. But what do we do with it? The answer is we can learn so much from what Paul says in these verses as he kind of sends his final greetings to the church. It gives us a kind of real insight into what the church he was writing to was really like because we get to kind of meet the people. It's a bit like the credits at the end of the movie. You go, oh, that's who that... And you kind of work out who that was. And we see that he's actually ministering to real people. It's not just theoretical. And so I want to say there are actually five things. I'm going to limit it to five. Just five things we can can learn, uh, particularly about church. And so if you're a regular church guy, I want them to be encouragements to you. So this is kind of why we come to church. If you're not a regular church guy, maybe they could be like, hey, I could check out this church thing. Here are five reasons to come back next week. So five things are, firstly, church is not something you go to, but something you belong to. Church is not something you go to, it's something you belong to. Secondly, church is for people who are not like you. Churches for people who are not like you. Thirdly, church is not for consumers, but servants. Not for consumers, but servants. Fourthly, I have to do that because my fingers don't work well. Uh, Church is a place where God's word is faithfully taught. Church is a place where God's word is faithfully taught. And five, church is a place where Christ is proclaimed and glorified. And all those things are evident in these Uh, long verses of names uh, and what Paul says. The first thing we have here though is the first point. Church is not something you go to but belong to. I'm telling you right now, don't go to church. Don't go to church. Be the church. 
Can you see there's a, there's a difference between those two things? Uh, earlier on in his letter to the church in Rome in chapter 12, Paul uses this picture, this image of the church like a body. And bodies work best when they're not dismembered. Right? When they're together, when they're whole, when they're functioning. I didn't do medicine, but I'm pretty sure that's right. One body, many parts. We belong to the church. And that's exactly what we see when Paul lists all these people here. They're not kind of separate people. No, they're all part of one church. 35 people mentioned by name and others mentioned indirectly, either through association or as family members. And they're real people. And what's amazing is... uh, Paul has yet to go to Rome. He's kind of writing this letter to say, look, I'm on my way. Here's some stuff to know. I'm coming soon. But yet he knows all these people. He lists 26 people in Rome that he already knows. And he sends greeting from another eight to Rome. And as we look at those names, we can see the social makeup of the community of these churches, which would probably gather in house-sized groups. There's no kind of church buildings in early, uh, in early Rome. Now, one of the things we know, if you've been a Christian for a long time, is the kind, of, the kind of idea that Christianity is the idea of a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That might be a really, really shorthand summary of what the Christian faith is. And to some extent, that is absolutely true, but it's far too small a definition. First of all, it's a relationship with God, who is Father, Son and Holy Spirit, And secondly, you're not just you and God, it's actually you and the people of God. When you become a Christian, guess what? You join the church automatically. It's not like an optional extra. You join a family. And what we're doing tonight is celebrating that fact. When Andy's baptised, it's a sign that his faith is in Jesus and a sign that whether we like him or not, he's now part of our family. And we we do like you, by the way, mate, so it's all good. (laughs) So far, it's all good. It's all good. And you'll notice that throughout his, the entire letter, but indeed particularly in these verses, he refers to these people as brothers and sisters. And it's a really common language for Christians to talk about their church family. Brothers and sisters. He talks uh, also, like in verse 18, uh, sorry, verse 8, uh, Ampili- uh, sorry, that's right, Ampilatus, my dear friend in the Lord, or verse 13, Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who's been like a mother to me. So close is this woman that she's like his mum. She's been caring for him, looking after him. In other words, as we come together, we are celebrating what it means to be a family. And that's a beautiful thing because what the Bible teaches is we're actually created for community. If you go right back to the very beginning of the Bible, Adam is created and everything is good except for the fact that he is alone. You and I are created to belong to community, to belong to family. And there's a slight irony at the moment is we live in the most technologically connected age ever. I got my phone out and I worked out I have 14 apps on my phone that enable me to connect to other people, including a phone, the actual phone itself, which is probably the least used by your generation, right? You don't like talking to people on the phone. That's okay, you've got your 14 other apps, you've got the WhatsApp and the InstaFace, you're all over that, right? We've got this tech, but we're the most lonely we've ever been. Isn't that extraordinary? We're the most connected and the most disconnected at the same time. The stats are that since the 1980s, 
Loneliness has doubled. These are stats before COVID, by the way. Uh, At least 40% of adults reported feeling lonely regularly. And the research post-COVID says that that has just gone through the roof. Connected, online, but lonely. Why? Well, I think there's a couple of things going on here. Firstly, we, we need to remember that we are created for community. Now, what I want to say by that is if you feel lonely, please know you're not dysfunctional. Loneliness is not good, but it's actually a sign that you have a proper and good urge to connect with people. That we need deep spiritual friendships. That's a sign of, of spiritual maturity. It's not a weakness. It's actually a sign that you are living out as someone who's created to be that way. It's actually a sign of health. Loneliness is bad because it's actually not allowing us to do what we've been created to do. We are created for community. And the most beautiful and wonderful community I think there is, is church. It is a family. So have a look around Uni Church, have a look at each other. You're stuck with these people. <laughs> Which is a good thing, right? You might, you might be brand new to Melbourne and you know nobody, but guess what? It's a family reunion. You may have been at St Jude's for a long, long time and each week new members of your family arrive that you've never met before. Brothers and sisters. And I think that's a wonderful and beautiful thing about church that actually makes church attractive. This is a place not where just friends gather or we have a common idea, but the Bible teaches us we are brothers and sisters. In fact, that language of brothers and sisters comes from, particularly in in the first century, the closest and most loyal uh, uh, connection there was, was, remember it's a patriarchal society, brother and brother. That was the most important relationship. It was you and your brother against the world. But here, radically, women and people who you're not genetically related to become your brothers. In fact, the early church used this language. People freaked out. They thought that Christians were practicing incest because they're marrying their sisters and talking about how much stuff. Like, no, no, it's, they kind of got it half right. We are united in the blood of Christ. And so in a culture where loneliness is the new epidemic, one of the best things that we can do is be the church, not just come to church. Be a genuine expression of Christian community and family. A place of radical inclusion and love. Where people come and say, oh, this is my family. Don't come to church, be the church. Secondly, Paul reminds us in these verses that the church is actually for people who are not like you. I'm not, we do like you, by the way, but it's just saying it's, it's for whole different people. In fact, it's profoundly diverse. Uh, we kind of have lost the radical nature of the calling of how diverse church is to be because diversity is, of course, a value of our culture. Uh, one of the major reasons why diversity is one of the values of our culture is because of our culturally Christian heritage. One of the things you'll notice is if you're a scholar of names, which, you know, not many of us are, there's an amazing diversity in the lists of the names that that, that Paul sends greetings to. He starts with uh, this woman called Phoebe. Now remember, first century patriarchal society. Women not given much sway. Who's the first person mentioned? 
a woman. And we'll see that this is a, a recurring theme. Uh, Phoebe is probably sent with the letter from where Paul is writing it in Corinth to Rome because you can't email it right, you can't post it, can't do an attachment, so you've got to send it with somebody. And notice that Paul says she's been the benefactor of many people, including me. Now what this means is Phoebe was most likely what we would call a patron. She was a, a, a woman who had not just wealth but a bit of social influence as well and would often uh, represent other people uh, before the courts and kind of speak on behalf of them. In other words, she's a woman of, so, of high social standing and influence. Uh, she's probably single because in the culture you would normally recommend, you'd normally say someone's a husband or wife if you mention them. And notice too, she's a deacon in the church. Here is a woman of power and influence, a single woman who's been commissioned to take this letter, what a responsibility, to the church in Rome. There's further diversity. We see both Jew and Gentile names mentioned. Now, we kind of don't get the radicalness of this. These groups would never mix together. We've got Mary, which is a traditional Jewish name, which you might know from Jesus' mum, right? Mary. Uh, some of them are more overt, where it says Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, because Paul's a Jewish man. Radical idea that Jews and Gentiles are together. There were different classes. Some of the names are upper class names. They'd have a hyphen in them if they were English names, right? Uh, a lot of the names are ex-slave names. A slave would take on the name of their master. We have slaves and we have people on the higher ends of society mixing in this church in a culture that's very structured. These groups should normally never meet. There's a diversity of gender. Eight to nine women are mentioned by name. Uh, we, we say eight to nine because junior, it's hard to know. That's a name that can be ambidextrous, so to speak, but it's probably a woman from the context. But in this very patriarchal culture, they're commended, five of them, for their labour in the Lord. They're not just there to make up numbers, they're doing the work of the church. And then we have uh, possibly a more misunderstood verse, verse 16, to greet each other with a holy kiss, says Paul. Now what, what is he talking about there, right? We don't do that in church for obvious reasons. What, uh, be very clear, this is not a romantic thing. You can't find the person you like and say, look, it says in the Bible, you've got to, you've got to greet me with a holy kiss. No, please, please hear a big no on that. Big no on that. Uh, it is a sign in this culture of friendship between two peers. Between two peers is the key thing. Uh, if you were a slave, you would kiss the feet of your master to show your subservience. But here you are kissing the cheek of an equal. So slave and free, Jew and Gentile, upper class and lower class, all are told to greet each other with a holy kiss. A handshake we would do, right? You are peers, you are equal. You're diverse, but you're equal. That's, that's the image that Paul is giving to his church. An extraordinarily diverse thing. Now, one thing you can't miss as you come into our church at St Jude's are the bright colours, right? For those first came into church, like, what, what, what's going on here? Uh, the church on the outside as well, we've got what's called polychromatic bricks, which means multicoloured bricks. But for some reason, it sounds classier when you use Latin, and so we call it polychromatic bricks. Different colour bricks that build up the church. And people have different opinions about the colours inside the church. I kind of like them. Other people have differences of opinion. That's okay. But what I want to do is, when you see the colours both outside and inside... I want you to be reminded that this is really a spiritual declaration that our church is diverse. Our church is many-coloured. Our church is, if you want to be fancy, 
polychromatic. You can just drop that in a sentence at uni next week. There's a polychromatic church I go to, right? Um, there's a conversation starter. Uh, we have about 42-ish nationalities at church. We have people of all ages and abilities from gender, socioeconomic background, languages, ages, you name it. It is a beautiful thing to see people gather from all parts of the world, from all ages and backgrounds, united as one in Christ. There are very few places where you see this much diversity and so much unity. We all approach God in exactly the same way. We come boldly before the throne of God only by the grace of Christ and grace is an amazing equaliser. It's an amazing equaliser. It says no one here is any more important than anyone else and no one here is less important than anyone else. We are all equal in God's eyes as his loved children. And what this means, of course, is there can be absolutely no room for discrimination or, or racism or hatred or even cliques, right? Because we kind of know that racism's bad and stuff. But what about cliques? Are you just hanging out with people like you or are you actively seeking to build relationships with your brothers and sisters from different backgrounds? That's what we're called to do. Because church is for people who are not like you and, and people like you as well. Or thirdly, we see that Paul reminds us here in these verses that church is not for consumers, but for people who serve. Uh, Notice when Paul greets people, it's not just because he knows them, it's because they're his fellow workers who seek to serve the Lord. Just a few examples. Uh, Verse 3, we meet Priscilla and Aquila, most likely a married couple. My co-workers in Christ, that's impressive. Verse 4, they risked their lives for me. Right, if, you're on the, if you're on the dinner roster tonight, you're not risking your life. Right? Well, you shouldn't be. Like that, that's, that's not just... They're all in, right? They're risking their lives. Or uh, look at verse 7. Uh, Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have what? Been in prison. That's, once again, that's not, you know, just doing a small group and prayers or looking after our kids' church, which might seem like prison. It's not. It's a joy... They are so keen to serve, they're willing even to go to prison. Uh, We meet uh, in verse 12, we meet Tryphena and Tryphosa, these women. I kind of, in my mind, imagine them as twins because they've got similar names, right? I don't know if they are, but in my mind they are. Uh, These twin women who work hard in the Lord and greet my dear friend Persis, another woman, who's worked very hard in the Lord. See, each time these, these amazing people are commended for serving Jesus co-workers with Christ. They're there to seek to serve, not to consume. And in verses 23 to 20, uh, sorry, 21 to 23, Paul kind of sends greetings from his co-workers. We see, we see a guy called Timothy, who's Paul's kind of ministry associate. He's intern, he's doing a traineeship here, or here at St. Jude, you can do a traineeship, it's that kind of a thing. Uh, even a major public servant can serve Jesus, we see that, Erastus. Even public servants can serve Jesus. There's no excuse. In other words, followers of Jesus are not consumers. When you come to church and we gather as God's people, yes, you come to be fed spiritually as God's word is preached and as we pray and as we sing, but also you're coming here to serve other people, the ones to your left and your right, the ones in front and the ones behind. And there are a myriad of different ways that you can serve. 
And I want to just put it out there, there is an increased need for people to think about full-time gospel ministry, be that in churches or university ministry or chaplaincy. We have 40 parishes in our diocese that have no minister. There's almost a million people going to be moving into the kind of edges of Melbourne where there are very few, if any, churches. We need to keep raising up people who are willing to serve as these people named in this letter are. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. Because the question is not, is God calling you to serve? The question is, where is God calling you to serve? Maybe he's calling you to serve in the way where you study and in your job. Maybe he is calling you to think about theological study. The church is not for consumers, it's for servants. Fourthly, we see that the church is a place where God's word, the Bible that is, is faithfully taught. Notice in verses 17 to 20, there's a bit of a change of tune. He stops kind of listing names and and gives them a command. He says kind of, uh, I urge you to watch out, brothers and sisters. Watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. What Paul is saying is you need to watch out. It's, it's the word we get the word periscope from. It's an active word. It's not just you kind of be yeah, I'm watching. No, no, you need it's kind of looking through the binoculars, alert and ready. And then to look out for people who teach contrary to what the word says, what God's word says in our churches, which is Paul's outlined the beautiful story of the gospel in chapters 1 to 15, the, the beautiful and unnegotiable truths, the unmerited love of God, the saving power of Jesus' death and resurrection, that we're saved by grace alone. All these things are not up for grabs, says Paul. And so if someone comes and says they are, watch out. They cause division and obstacles because they're undermining the thing that we're united in, which is Christ. But notice as well, Paul tells us to watch out, not just for what our leaders say, but for their character. Because the danger is, right, if someone's really good at their job, if they're competent, you can kind of overlook their character. In fact, you can do worse. You can kind of baptise bad things because it gets good results. And we've seen toxic Christian leadership again and again and again because it's a failure of character. Verse 18, Paul says, For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. It literally says their own bellies, right? their own base desires for for themselves. That's a sign of toxic leadership in a church. When people are not promoting Jesus but promoting themselves and their own platform. Good preachers and good teachers are driven to serve Jesus, not themselves. And good preachers and teachers are seeking to point others to Jesus and not themselves. So here's my kind kind of rule of thumb. It's not always true. If someone has a ministry named after themselves, alarm bells. not saying always, but if you see the John Forsyth Miraculous School of Ministry on a web, www dot, run away, right? Run away. Once again, that's not gospel, that's just advice. (laughs) Why are they seeking to put their name there rather than Christ's name? Another challenge is often false teachers are really nice people. Uh, See, one of the challenges is that that real life is not like the movies. I love watching movies. And one of the great things about movies is you know who the bad guys are. Why? Because of the soundtrack. 
I guarantee you, you would not know that Darth Vader was evil just by looking at him, right? He's dressed like a typical Melburnian, all in black, right? Cool coat, wandering around with a mask on. Just, it's Melbourne, right? It's just Melbourne. But how do you know he's bad? Dun, 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 dun. Like, that's not the soundtrack of someone who's good. <laughs> but the problem is, of course, there's no soundtrack in life. Um, you can kind of imagine what, what happens if someone came to church dressed in black robes and horns on their head and they sacrifice a goat during the sermon. You probably think, well, maybe there's something not quite right about this guy. Uh, but that's not the way it works. See what it says in the second half of verse 8? It says, by smooth talk and flattery they deceive. It's not going to be obvious. People can be inspirational and charismatic and what they can say can be mostly true. It's 80% right. But that 20%, that 10% makes a huge difference. It's like you're, 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 do you drive ships? I don't know what you do with ships. Driving a ship. Uh, and the rudder's out by 10%. It's only 10%, right? You will not end up where you're heading for if your rudder is out by 10%. And you may well get into some serious danger. And that's crucial why you want to check the content and the character of those who preach God's word. Which is why we want, encourage you to have your Bibles open when people are preaching and we print the Bible off for you and you've got the 58 apps on your phone and we've got Bibles at the back because we want you to say, is this really what God says? Because the Bible is the authority. Check your preachers against it. Check me against it. Check Sam. Check others. That's what you want to do because our church is to be a place where God's word is faithfully taught. Fifthly and finally, we see the church is where Jesus Christ is proclaimed and glorified. And it's right at the end here where Paul finishes his letter with this little prayer, which is called a doxology, which is just a fancy way of saying it's a prayer which gives praise to God for who he is. And there are three aspects to this prayer. The first one is he praises God for God's character for his power in verse 25, for his eternal nature in verse six, uh, 26, for his wisdom in verse 27. And Paul says, look, my whole ministry is all about this. It's all about God getting the glory and the thanks and the praise for what has happened. It's not about me, says Paul. It's about God. And then he praises God for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great news that is proclaimed, that Christ has come and died to pay the price of our sin and been risen to life, and that we can trust him. That's the great news. That we can have life to the full. That's the great news. And this is the great gospel that Paul has been proclaiming. That's been his mission. And he prays in verse 26 that this gospel, this good news, would reach all the nations. That the Gentiles, which is just another way of saying non-Jewish people, would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is amazing is that prayer is fulfilled in this building this evening. Here we are, most of us, not all of us, but most of us Gentiles, about as far from Rome as you can probably get. Paul would not even have conceived of this cool place called Melbourne, right? But here are Christians gathered doing the same thing. And it's the same mission we have, to proclaim the good news so that people like Andrew can come and hear the gospel. And that's a beautiful thing. That is our great mission, to proclaim Christ and to glorify and give praise to him for all he has done.
So let me pray that as a church we would do that. And after I pray, we're going to stand and we're going to sing together as God's people. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this amazing letter that you inspired Paul to write. A letter that reminds us of the beauty of the Gospel and the beauty of your church. That is something that we don't just come to but belong to as brothers and sisters. That it, that it displays the amazing diversity and beauty of, of people from all different parts of your world. That it calls us not, not just to be consumers but really to serve and give. That it be a place where your word is faithfully taught and proclaimed. And that our church would be a place where the wonderful glory of Christ will be made evident in all we do. We pray these things in God's precious name. Amen.